Blog Talk Radio. Who are the unstoppable ones? Is it just that they can do it and I can't? Who are the unstoppable ones? Is it just that they can do it and I can't? Mission Unstoppable. Mission Unstoppable. The Unstoppable Ones. You did say unstoppable, right? You did say unstoppable, right? What is it they know that I don't? Coach Frankie Picasso takes you on Mission Unstoppable. Anyone stop these people? Good evening, and I am the Unstoppable Coach, Frankie Picasso, and you are about to go on another Mission Unstoppable. Tonight we're going to go back to the Dark Continent to meet a group of people who are dedicated to helping the orphans and the abandoned children of South Africa. But first, I'd like to thank the good folks here at Blog Talk Radio for allowing me to broadcast over their network. Today is Tuesday, April the 29th. The time is 9 p.m. in Toronto, 6 in Portland, and 3 a.m. in Somerset, East Africa. This time, we are going to uh, a tiny hamlet of about 22,000 people. The name of the town is Somerset East, a town that features no less than 16 waterfalls, an idyllic, peaceful setting nestled deep in a valley. It's surrounded by mountains, and this little idyllic town is situated about 180 kilometers from Port Elizabeth. It makes one think about the set from Brigadoon, a town where time may have stood still and everything is perfect. But is it? In this town of 22,000 people, there are sadly hundreds of orphans, children who have been made homeless, children who live by a garbage dump, children who have been abandoned by their parents as they migrated to the larger cities for work. My guests this evening wanted to do something about the situation, so they created a charity, a non-profit trust, the Akalusa Abantwana, Nurture the Children. Tonight, please meet Lynn Brown. She's a local resident, former school teacher, now a nutritional therapist who's heavily involved in the orphanage and poised to help it grow. Good evening, Lynn, and thank you for joining us. Hello, Frankie. Nice How to be here. You? Thanks for inviting thank me. You. I'm fine, thank you. Next, please meet Sister Bradfield. Sister Rosalie is a public health nurse who will tell us about her community work and what the attitude is on the street and talk to us about the AIDS epidemic that's going on there. Good evening, Sister Bradfield. Welcome. Good evening. Thanks for having me. Thanks for getting up so early. I should tell everybody that it is 3 a.m. in South Africa. And lastly, Dr. Alan Russell, Canadian doctor, humanitarian, who has worked tirelessly to raise money and set up this trust so that these kids will have a future. Good evening, Dr. Russell. Thank you for joining us. Hi. I do appreciate you getting up early in South Africa at 3 o'clock to save me losing my beauty sleep. But anyhow, thank you. <laughs> and in, in the window, we have some folks there, too, and I'd just like to thank everybody uh, who has joined us. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, we're glad that you're, that you're here with us. So, Lynn, let me just start with you. Um, you've lived in this town for, what, seven generations, I think? Um, I have I haven't lived myself for seven generations. <laughs> no, but, not um, yourself, but your family. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Secret Frankie. Um, yes, yes. The the family that I'm married into. Yes, my husband is sixth generation. So my son, who's coming farming, would be seventh generation. That's correct. Yes. That is amazing. Now, you you have a very different view of South Africa than our former guest. Um, who, those of you who are listening in and uh, listen every week, Diane, you may remember Diane had talked about Middleburg. Now we're talking yes. about Somerset East, which seems to be very different. So how did you get involved in this charity, Lynn? Frankie, about a year ago I was probably like most South Africans with my head buried in the sand and thinking everything's absolutely hunky-dory around me. Um, and then I got a wake-up call. Uh, somebody, you know, I think I think the problem is that our media tries to protect us. Well, not uh, I don't. I think they intend to protect us, and I don't think it's a good thing. But because we see TV documentaries and um, that sort of thing about the problems in Africa, but it always tends to be the other African states north of us that that we manage to see. We don't realize that the same problems occur in our own country. And uh, about a year ago, I got this wake-up call when somebody um, who I knew by name but didn't actually know very well, she phoned me out of the blue. And uh, this was Anna-Marie Boer, who um, 
because I write a health column in, in our local paper, she phoned me to ask if I could maybe put together a menu for that would give 24 children nutritious food at, on a budget of 2,800 rand a month. And, I mean, I just laughed at her. I but let me just stop you for a moment. Okay, 2,800 mm. rand, Dr. Russell, about how much is that Canadian? It's seven, about seven rand to the dollar, is it? Canadian dollar. Yes. Okay. Mm. It is, yeah. I'm not sure what it converted to. But it actually is probably about what my husband and I, when we're on our own here, to spend in a month on groceries. Because it had to include detergents for cleaning the house and that sort of thing as well. And mm-hmm. it's probably about what two, what the two of us consume here in a month. And now I was expected to put as many together for 24 children plus an adult carer. And I said to her, you know, where is this place? Because I had heard that name as well, but I had never really thought much more of it. And I just had to go and investigate because I didn't think it was possible to do this, you know, on 2,800 rand a month. And uh, when I got there, I, was, I realized there's a lot more to be done. Um, the, condition, the conditions were not good. The children were really very, very thin, and um, a lot of them riddled with scabies. 24 children sleeping in three bedrooms. So your little ones um, were sleeping three in a bed, and, of course, that's going to just be... Right, you know, um, cause your scabies to become rife amongst them. What was the age? And so you could see, pardon? Do you remember what the ages were? The ages, they started at a year. The little one was a year old, and um, they went up to 16 years. And, um, sorry, I can't hear you. I said, and all of them were sleeping in, in three rooms. Yes, three bedrooms, yes. Wow. Yeah, so little yeah. ones in three in a bed. And, um, the, the and all the were together? Um, yes, yes. The girl, no, the girls the girls have their two bedrooms and the boys have a bedroom. And okay. then there's another small little room off the kitchen where two boys sleep. Yeah, so, um, you know, I realized there's a lot more to be done. And then I discovered that there were two other ladies who were taking these children out once a week for outings, and I met Wendy and Renee, and we decided to join forces, and we formed this little voluntary association, and we've been working with the children ever since. Um, we're not part of the organization that actually owns the, the home, but um, we're sort of an independent voluntary association, and um, it's amazing what, what we've achieved in as far as the children's health and, and the whole self-esteem and everything in this, well, much less than a year now. Um, so we're very proud of that, that project. Um, Sister, Sister Bradfield, were you um, aware of this, of this home? Um, yes, I was aware of the home. Um, I uh, have not become involved specifically in the home uh, previously because um, I actually am a district sister uh, working in a, in a place outside of Somerset East. We actually have a municipality uh, called the Blue Crane uh, Root Municipality, which encompasses three towns. And I work in a town about... Um, 50 kilometers outside of Somerset East, and I travel there every day. I don't actually work in the town, but what I do is um, a district nursing service uh, going to the farms in the area with a mobile clinic, and uh, all the farms are visited once once a month, and uh, so that is what I'm involved in. Okay. And, um, yeah, that's basically... And you've seen uh, and then, these children on the street corners or at the dump? Have you seen them around as you're traveling? Yes, yes well, you know, again, um, I, was, I was actually involved in Somerset East Health uh, for 22 years, being in charge of the municipal services, health services here, and uh, then re- retired, uh, early retirement, uh, four years ago, and then... Um, uh, started working with this with the district nursing services. So I, I was very much aware of it when I was working in the town itself. And then and, uh, now, of course, I've got involved more with the with the children on the farms. And 
uh, have always been aware that, that the children have been a, a, a huge problem. And, of course, with the AIDS epidemic exploding here, um, the, the number of children that are in need of care has just increased uh, exponentially. You know, it's just gone up and up and up. Right. I want to and, get back to that in a minute. Okay. Um, Dr. Russell, when you first told me about um, this, this orphanage, you told me that the children were eating non-food soup. That is true. That's the term I coined myself when I looked at the nutritional value that Lynn had told me about and emailed me. And, you know, it's, it's a very simple thing. It's non-food soup. And I thought, you know, I'm trying to cut my weight. I, I've got so, we have so much food in North America. And, you know, I kept thinking of this non-nutritional soup these kids were having for lunch. And, you know, it, it's an image that swings everything. And I this is what made me get one of the things that made me get involved and also the fact that there were people on the ground there like Rosalie, Lynn, Amory who, who make it work. You can't run these things a long way away unless you have troops on the ground. We've tried this before in Africa and unless you can have people you can rely on, it just becomes a disaster and this is the troops on the ground. Right. So what made you get involved? What made you fly off to Africa and say, you know, I'm going to go help the orphans? And that isn't totally as it happened. I was visiting my daughter who was doing volunteer work in South Africa as a volunteer lawyer fighting for Zulu women's rights, which I admired, and I went to see her. And I gradually became more and more interested in the whole scenario in South Africa where um, HIV is not advertised. It's, you don't see adverts on television. This can kill you. Um, there's little active treatment, the condom program. Um, really doesn't work. Um, I've only seen one box of condom in one washroom in the whole of Southern Africa. Um, the system, it's not, it's a war. I mean, it, it's, the birth rate is dropping. The only things are prospering. That's not true, but they're running out of cemeteries. And it's not being taken as a, a, a critical war. Right. And, you know, this, this really made me feel that we were watching a, a lack of, we were watching Auschwitz and doing nothing. So I started writing a, a lot of articles on it's just as bad to watch a catastrophe as be actually the cause of it. And then through really nutritional work with Lynn, I became friendly with Lynn, and, and that's the beginning of the story, which I hope just goes on and on and on until we have orphanages all over South Africa. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, Lynn... You you were you got involved nutritionally with feeding these with feeding the children, um, and you saw them prosper. You saw them grow. We do have a caller. Hello, nine oh five. Who's calling, please? Um, it's Alice calling. Hi, Alice. How are you? I'm fine. Um, I just want to speak to Lynn as well. I've been in contact with her. Um, sure, go ahead. Mail. Yeah. Hello, Alice. Hello, Hello, Alice. Lovely to hear your voice. Yeah. Thank you. Hi. Um, it's a uh, one I'm, I'm calling in to say to give some moral support to the uh, home that's being looked after there, as well as having seen the children and the can vouch um, publicly that they are in good hands and seem very, very healthy. And um, I think there's a lot of good work there, and I'm very happy to be a part of the support. Um, there and um, to give her support as well on the all work that she's doing. Hopefully, maybe someday I'll be able to get there as well. Thank you, Alice, and thank you very much for your support and thanks for all the lovely emails that you have been sending me. I really appreciate it. It's, it's wonderful encouragement for, for all of us. And hopefully, all the children are running around. Yeah, he is. No, they're, they're, they're fast asleep at the moment, of course. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'll pass the word on. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks for calling. Okay. Bye-bye. If anybody wants to call and, and speak to um, Lynn or, or, or Rosalie or Dr. Russell, you know, feel free to give us a call in the number 646-595-3741. Or you can ask your questions. I do have the chat room open. There's some folks in there. Hello. Good evening again to everybody in there. Diane's in there tonight as well. Uh, just ask your questions in there, and I will be sure to pass them on. Um, we are going to be talking about the future plans, uh, what this trio is up to. Um, but I did want to ask Sister um, Rosalie, what is going on in the town as far as the AIDS epidemic? I, I know that when Dr. Russell came back um, from one of his trips, he said to me that the, um, 
the folks in South Africa who were dying of AIDS, the blacks thought it was a black person's disease. They had no idea that white people could get it. I find that absolutely phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Did you encounter uh, this as well? I beg your pardon? I said, did you encounter this this as well? Yes, yes, it is the case. And I think that, that still today, um, uh, HIV is regarded very much as a uh, as a black person's disease. And, uh, and I think that uh, perhaps also, you know, the because of the differences in the numbers, the, the total numbers in the country, um, there are proportionally a, a lot more black people than there are white. Uh, and uh, and so obviously um, it becomes a more a visual thing as far as they're concerned, and uh, and I think the whites would uh, are, are very much still in a in a denial phase, and um, they you know if someone dies of HIV, it's definitely not uh, not publicised at all. Whereas I think the blacks now have um, have got to the stage where so many of them are. Are dying, and so many. You know, everybody has knows a family member or a um, or a relative, some relative or some friend who has died. So I think it's becoming more of something that is now uh, accepted and talked about, um, whereas isn't in the in the case of the white community. When they die, do they put AIDS or do they put tuberculosis on the death certificate? Um, it just depends, I think. Uh, they they don't um, they don't put AIDS uh, readily on the death certificate, but because um, uh, I think previously there was also a big problem with regards to to payment of burial societies and that kind of thing, and uh, you know the insurance companies were taking advantage of the fact well if it's AIDS it's not included in the in the whole manifesto thing kind of. But so the families are left destitute. Yeah, I beg your pardon. So you mean that the families would be left destitute because the insurance company that's, won't pay that's out? That's right. Yeah. I see. But, uh, but I think nowadays it's accepted. It doesn't really matter what they put on. I think at the at the funerals they they're talking about it being HIV. It's not so that it's being hidden anymore. I have an a, an AIDS worker in our chat room from South Africa. Uh, Karsten is there, and he says. Um, He's got 26% HIV and AIDS rate in uh, South Africa regarding uh, to the UN AIDS report in 2007. Um, do you think that's, that's right? Do you think it's higher, lower? Um, You've got like 70% of the country dying of AIDS, don't you? I think we've... Uh, uh, it's, it's about, I would say, between 17 and, uh, and uh, 20, 25%. It depends on the area. I think KwaZulu-Natal tends to be, from what I've read, uh, tends to be somewhat higher than the rest of the country. And uh, uh, and I think the, the various cities tends to be higher. But I would say it's about 17 to, to 20 percent in the, in the rural areas as well. So you've got about 22,000 um, people living in, in and around Somerset East. Is that correct? Um, yes. And you've got the, the actual town is uh, is approximately uh, between sixteen and seventeen thousand, and then of okay. course we've got the rural areas, you know, on the farms and so on. So it's about that. Yes. So between you and Lynn, how many how many orphans or children are do you think are left homeless or children raising children? What what do you think those numbers are? Um, again, uh. it's very difficult to say because the, the, what happens is that the, that the families actually absorb the children um, of the people who have died. And I think that you know, if one can just look at the town itself, um, that's not counting the rural, uh, the rural areas, we have approximately um, 10 to, to 15 uh, funerals a week here. Ten to fifteen funerals a week. Wow. Yes. And uh, you know, whereas previously it used to be between fifteen and uh, twenty funerals in a month. So uh, that will give you an idea of the of the effect of this disease in the town. And right. Yeah. And with the result, uh, what happens is that, that culturally people take on the families of their siblings. Right. Um, so we've got a, a, a number of grandparents uh, who are looking after children. 
and or, or siblings that are looking after children. That's the, that I'm talking about the older siblings. So the, the 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 mother's sister has died. So she takes on her two or three kids. She's already got two or three kids. But then if another member of her family dies, um, she's then left with those children. So um, it gets to a stage where she cannot take in anymore. And I think that's where we are now. And, and that is where the tragedy is, because these families are so overburdened by these, uh, by these children that they, they are no longer coping. Um, Frankie, Frank, Frank, yeah. one point that's been missed by many, many writers is the fact that, think what you and me learnt from our parents, how to eat, how to wash, how to drink, how to behave, basic education. These children are growing up with their parents dead. Right. And this is going to be very, very difficult, not to mention, I should have mentioned this first, but the question of love and caring and, and being part of a family. This, these, this is what part of the job is to replace this, because these kids are going to grow up having no basic human education. Yeah, this right. is a very but, big problem. This is, this is what we're finding. You know, I'm sorry, Lynn, but I, I just have to say that, that, you know, from what I've heard in, in our previous shows, that these people are abandoning their children, they're selling their kids, they're leaving their kids, they're just going off. Whether they're, you know, some are dying, but others are just leaving them, or, or they're selling them for alcohol or whatever. You've got a whole bunch of kids living in a dump. I don't think all of their parents are dead. Yeah, but some are economic orphans. They can't afford to keep them, so they just... Abandon them. They just can't afford it. You know, they just abandon them. This is economic. But where's the love? Where's the love? You know, I mean, even if they were in that family, I don't, I'm not feeling the love there. You know, if you're starving, love may go out the window sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, with the children in the dump, um, we have got agencies here, which, well, NPOs, who actually go out of their way to try and get these children off the dump and get them into schools. But it is actually the parents who eventually get these children back onto the dump because they need them to work there, you see. They collect things, they sell them, and they need the children. Children work harder on the dump. Um, so it is, it is a big problem amongst the parents that they're totally ignorant of how important education is to the child. So unfortunately, the situation has just been perpetuated all the time. And it's the same with the, with the children that are left with grandmothers. The grandmothers grew up like that, and their worlds are the size of a tennis ball. So they don't know how to stimulate the children. They really have no idea. And it's all about education, and this is what we're hoping to correct in, in our next project that we'll talk about later. Now, is the school, um, school free for the kids? Can, can any child go to school if they, if they wish to? Yeah, it is supposed to be free, Frankie, but uh, of course, the um, unfortunately, it doesn't work out that way. Um, the the money is at the uh, the provincial departments. You know, I mean, Trevor Manuel, our finance minister, he sees that there is going to be enough money for education, for free education, and and I do believe that from central government, the money is filtered down into the provincial government. But that is unfortunately where the problems arise. And it's, it's got a lot to do with lack of skills there as well. You see, the, the logistics of getting all that money out into the right places is just too much for people that are not trained for the job. So it ends up most, well, just every year so far, it has ended up that a lot of that money gets, has to get sent back to national government at the end of the year because they were unable to, to distribute it properly. Oh my God! And it, they send the money back. Yeah, and it, it does. It does also get into the wrong pockets too, of course, right, which we all right. know about. Right. And uh, it's not getting to the schools, although they, they they are promised that it will so much will come to them. It doesn't get there, and as a result, the schools wouldn't be able to function. And they do have to ask them for school fees, which in in our town is only about 50 rand a year, which is absolutely nothing. Right. But uh, then also the stationery is supposed to be supplied by the education departments, and it doesn't arrive at the schools either. So the parents do have to buy stationery for the children. And now, your uh, children, are your children allowed to go to school in? Are they allowed to go into the public school? Are they accepted in the, in the school? Yes, they are. You know, unfortunately, their schools are not good. Um, <laughs> with school fees of 50 rand, you can imagine 
um, there's, there's much yeah. to be desired there. And they, it would be wonderful if we could get, say, our, our children from the children's home into better schools, but which would be a lot more expensive. They would be in the region of four and a half to 5,000 rand a year. But um, they, they just never, I don't think we can get them to the stage where they are, you are going to be able to cope in a school because of the, the backlog, because of the, their um, education history from the time they started. Right. It's going to be an uphill battle to make that transition, move a child from the school that they're going to at the moment to a decent you know, school. It would, be, it would be difficult to make that transition. One would have to do remedial teaching with them every day. And, and this is another thing that we would like to bring into our new project. Well, that's, that's important, don't you think? Because, you know, if they don't get the education, then you're just kind of keeping them down and, and not yes. allowing them a future, right? No, exactly. Because we've got some children that have the potential, but <laughs> we can't go into their classrooms and tell their teachers what they should be doing with them, you know. So, But we see that, you know, the kid is bright, he... he could cope if we could just coax, coach him on into it. You know. Well, could any of them like earn a scholarship to go to the better school? Um, no, I think no, because um, the, the schools are very poor that they're at at the moment. They really are. So they really aren't getting a good enough um, education to show their potential, really. Right. So you know, I don't. The real tragedy, Frankie, is on on paper, South Africa has one of the best charters for children's protections, right, and education, but it's on right. paper mainly. And, right. you know, kids that are not well-fed, we've known from North America, kids that are not well-fed, their intellect is down, their IQ is down, poor schools, you have to be a genius to win a scholarship out of there. You know, um, so it's a dream, but it's, it's a step in the right direction. One thing I wanted to ask Rosalie, and before I forget, um, when we met in this, um, January, you were talking about telling people they've got HIV. Um, my impression was that they didn't sort of panic. If somebody told me at HIV, I'd be sort of writing my will and distressed. It seemed to me that they didn't seem to phase on them. Was I misreading it? They didn't seem to react. Yeah, um, Alan, you, you're perfectly correct. Um, I've yet to, um, to divulge the, the fact to someone that they're HIV positive to find that they... Um, they got really upset or hysterical or anything like that, you know. On on the odd occasion, there's been a tear, um, but uh, they accept the news very calmly. And um, some some people just disappear. In fact, you just never see them again. And uh, the others come back to you, uh, but um, they they often don't divulge it to the to the rest of their family. But, uh, but nowadays they tend to tell the family, but as I say, it's, not a, it's never been a, 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 like a devastating thing that you tell people, you know, you're HIV positive. It's almost as if, I don't know whether they're fatalistic or whether they, um, they, they don't have an idea of the reality of the, of the actual diagnosis. Well, they must if 15 to 20 people are dying every week. They must yeah. understand that, I'm thinking. Uh, we have a caller. Hang on a second. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi. Four four one. You're on air. <coughs> it's me. It's you. Hi, Frankie. It's Diane. Hi, Diane. <coughs> Hi. It's very slow. Yeah, it seems to be a backlog. Yeah. Did you have a question or something that you wanted to ask? Yes, I wanted to ask Lynn if she wouldn't like to bring her children to our children's home for a holiday. Diane, that's, that's quite an idea you have there. Would you have space for them? Yes, of course we'd have space for them. That, that sounds like something we, could, we should really think about. I think the interaction with other children would be would be great for all of them. Diane's home is, is beautiful. I'm sure you've seen pictures of it as well. It's absolutely yes, gorgeous. Yes. 
You know, it's only about a two-hour drive from us, so I have every intention of going up there one day and having a look and meeting the children and the and the carers there. Wouldn't that be lovely? Thanks for offering that, Diane. And I was just I was just thinking about the fact that you've spoken about the school. And you could perhaps have a look at what we've done with the school, and we've taken the children out of a bad situation school, and we've put them into a really good school. And how did how did the transition occur, though? Were they not really sort of behind the, the rest of the classes? Yes, they were behind the rest of the classes, but there are ways and means. If you if you take your eyes off the goal, that's when you will see all the obstacles. Mm. Yeah, you're right. Um, this is why we do plan to do to to actually employ a remedial teacher um, with our next project, and and we're hoping then that we will have be able to you know move the kids over. I don't want them to be at a, t a total disadvantage where they just want to give up. So we make sure that we actually prepare them properly before we actually move them over. But you know, this, one does need to have a remedial teacher preparing well, them, I would say. We have, we have teachers for our children at home, and hmm. they go to the school as well. Diane, is a lot of noise coming through. Yeah, so I'll get off the phone. Thank you, hon, for calling. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, so let's let's talk about the new project because I think it's really exciting. Some of the stuff that you have planned, um, that you know, with your go forward strategy. So let's let's talk about what's going to be happening right now. There's 24 children in one home, and you're planning a, a huge space. Um, increase, right? What are you planning, yes. Lynn? Yeah. Well, first of all, Frankie, although these 24 children are happy and healthy now, they are still in an unhealthy situation where they are still in a three-bedroomed home. Mm -hmm. So that needs to be resolved first and foremost, and, and we would obviously look after those children first because they are our babies. But um, there are hundreds of other kids out there. You know, it's uh, statistics show that 265 children were placed in foster care last year, during, during the last financial year, 265. And because we know the agencies will give preference to um, orphaned children, the, the, um, we know that probably 99% of these 265 children were orphaned. So those, that's what happened last year, and there are still lots of these kids around, lots of them. They are with grandmothers, uh, maybe, but grandmothers who don't want them. And, and, and a lot of grandmothers abuse their children. I mean, can you imagine if you're over 60 years of age and you are suddenly now landed with a whole lot of babies, you've got to clean up after them and they can't afford nappies and things like that. So, you know, I can't imagine anything worse at that age of having to now look after babies that have been dumped on you. So they do tend to, you know, um, become abusive and use the children to do work for them. They don't see the importance of education. Right. So we have a lot of abuse, of course, as a result of alcohol and drugs too, amongst parents. Right. And um, we've got the welfare workers who can identify these cases for us. And uh, because we want to help these children as well, we need to expand. Um, it's no use sitting back now and saying, oh, we've saved 24 children. Isn't that wonderful? And uh, thanks to, to Dr. Russell, we, we're, we've just embarked on this campaign now. We've formed a, a foundation called the Siakulisa Abantwana Foundation. So that means absolutely nothing to all your listeners, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> it, means, <laughs> it means we are nurturing the children. And that is what we want to do. We want to grow these children up to be responsible adults that can play a role in society in the future and build their self-esteem and whatnot. So our plan is to raise enough money to be able to build a cluster of four homes. And these will be called foster homes, not children's homes. Children's homes are when there are more children, more than six children in a home. Then, then, then you have to call it a children's home. 
we are wanting to establish foster homes, which is actually all that the government is interested in at the moment because a children's home can have the stigma of the old name orphanage, and orphanages did not work in the past. They didn't work. Um, people were always lining their own pockets and whatnot. So um, we prefer to, call, to, to start foster homes. There would be four in a, in a cluster, so six children in each would mean that we would be looking after another 24 children. And then we would also, in that same complex, build a daycare center stroke um, communal center where the um, children, the teenage children in the community can drop their siblings, their younger siblings, off for, to be looked after while they go to school, because at the moment there are teenagers who are not attending school because they they're orphans. The whole, you know, they've got brothers and sisters who are too small to go to school, so they have to stay at home and look after them. So we see that as a very important part of this project to be able to supply and provide that service to the community as well, so that more children can go to school. Because education is going to be our main emphasis as well. That was my question. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you there, but I did have a question because I was reading that, and I thought these these young kids, these 12 or 13 or 14 or 15-year-old kids whose parents have left or died and who are looking after their siblings, um, where does that where does that familial, I guess, um, responsibility come from when they don't see the adults doing it? Well, this is what's so scary because you wonder how, I mean, how, how do they manage? Um, it's it's not a good situation at all. So it's definitely one that needs intervention. No, is it? Do can kids get welfare? Is there a welfare system? Can they get money from the government on their own? Yes, they yes. can. Um, it is it is quite a performance, of course. Um, there are rules and regulations are supposed to be able to um, like for foster grants. Yeah, for foster grants they get six hundred and fifty rand a month, but um, you've got to provide certain ID documents. I'm not sure Rosalie might be able to Yeah, I think, um, the, the, big, the, big problem, the big problem there is that um, if the child wasn't registered at birth um, with the government agencies, then uh, to all intents and purposes it doesn't exist. Right. And and don't, a lot of them don't have birth certificates, don't they? They don't have birth certificates or their parents don't have birth certificates. Right. And if that, if that is the case, uh, one's got to go through the whole rigmarole of getting of getting the certificates uh, before they they can uh, access any kind of grant, and um, you know that could take anywhere from six months to two or three years, as Diane uh, would be able to tell you. It, right. uh, it can be a very long process, so it's. Um, it could be ages before they actually can access these grants, but they they are available. Uh, but how can a country not recognize its citizens? How can children be born into a country and, and they're just not automatically given an identity? I don't understand that. Well, Frankie, we're not talking about small numbers. We're talking about a million and a half, according to the figures, but it's most likely more like two million. This is a vast, vast number. If you can think of to population of Toronto being nearly orphans. And these are growing up without education. The girls are heads of families at 16. If you were at 16 with no education, what future do you have? And no, I know, this, I know. This is, a bar, and it, this, is a, this is a plan. This is an, an experimental project. If it works, it can re, be reproduced very simply and deal with the volume because if we deal with 50 children, we still need 1,400,000, one you know, um, orphans um, are not being really dealt with. This is a vast problem. I know, but I don't understand why, you know, I mean, I, I, to me, if Sister, if Sister Rosalie is out in the community, and I'm not saying she's supposed to do it, but I mean, if they can have community health workers, why don't they have, you know, um, statisticians going around and saying, do you have a birth certificate? Let me sign you up. Don't they need to know who lives in their country and how many people they have? When are you going to South Africa? <laughs> I give you a motorcycle, you go around, you, you, the paperwork yeah. would snow you under. But no, it's, we need some thoughts like that. We need some plans, um, some allegorisms to, to, to work on this because, you know, this is an experiment and I think it's but going to be a very successful one. People are copy. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Can, can, can I just tell you um, about the sort of problems that we have? We sure. don't have 
a, a mother who um, will, in, in many instances, they are uh, single parents. So uh, anyway, they will go to, to home affairs to register the child, not immediately, but uh, within a couple of days, which they're supposed to, but maybe uh, four or five months later because they haven't given the baby a name until then. Then right. they, they they give the name and the uh, uh, the people at the um, home affairs are are not happy because the, the the cards which we normally use as as baby cards somewhere someone has made a mistake on the card and and um, and corrected it so they get sent back to the person that wrote the card because there's a correction got nothing to do with the name of the child uh, but they won't accept that. So then the parent has to now find transport, get back to the home affairs department, and um, and, and with a, with a new card. And if there's any kind of, she cannot say to the person, but I actually want to call the the, the child Jane um, Jones. Uh, if if on the card it's written John Jones, even if it's a female, they will register the child as John Jones. Uh-huh. And that's the sort of thing that that happens, and it becomes um, it becomes a nightmare for the parent to actually get a birth certificate, so they just don't go back again. Wow. I mean that's that's just one instance, but I mean generally speaking, it's the parents just don't get the child registered. Although they when they're born at the hospital, the numbers are re- registered, but not the name of the child. Okay. So you've got you've got your 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 plans for this four phase for this new the new home. You've got a community center slash um, daycare center, and I think I saw somewhere that you are going to be bringing in foster mothers. Yes. Well, each home would have to have a foster mother, right. and um, that that is we we would select. You'd probably have to advertise. Um, for the foster mothers because unemployment is rife, of course, in this town as well. I think it's at about 37%. So if we advertise, we will certainly get lots of applications, but um, the majority of them would just be looking for the money. We know that. Right. So um, we would, we're going to have a panel who will select the foster mother very carefully. We would like to have foster parents rather than just a mother, but it's, it's not likely to happen. It would be great if the kids could grow up in a normal family environment where dad goes out to work, actually. But um, it's, it's not going to happen. And, uh, and then the most important thing that we want to do is to train those foster mothers into, you know, to, to, in, in the knowledge of good parenthood, how to love the child. As you said, there, there is no love at the moment. They don't know how to touch their children. They just, there, is, there is no love. They, they're basically using their children. They, they, they think that if they just feed them and send them off to school, that is sufficient. There's no interaction. There's no stimulation while they're babies or anything like that. So we will, we've already you know, asked us a, a welfare worker who is quite happy to actually train. She will help us select the foster mothers and she will train them into, you know, she wants to give them about 10 one-hour lessons. And uh, I think that's a very important part of our project. Right. And what about and, further uh, training in, in trauma? I know, um, you know, Lynn's, Lynn's home that they do those kinds of things as well. Like, could you give them extra training so that they are able to deal with, the, the you know, the significant problems that these kids are going to be having and going through? I mean, a lot. I know if they're anything like, you know, the, the kids in Middleburg, they've been, you know, raped, sodomized, they've had traumas, they've been stabbed, they've been beaten. Um, there must be need for psychological help. Oh, oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. We discussed this the other day, Frank. It basically comes down to money. This whole thing um, really hinges on and resources. I mean, teachers, psychologists, and psychiatrists cost money. Before I forget, we must appreciate these delightful women who are talking to us on the phone, Lynn, Rosalie, Anne-Marie, for all women who should be doing their garden, sitting on their verandas, rocking chairs, looking at their grandchildren, who are all working very, very hard in difficult circumstances with with some risk um, for nothing. And, you know, this... It's the soldiers on the ground that make it. The second part of this is money. Without money, right. these things do not fly. But the key thing is people on the ground who you can rely on. Because in the past, 
our problems have gone wrong with our work in Africa because it's the people on the ground. And yeah, I mean, I need to um, make that more clear. Lynn, you know, I mean, I met Lynn. I think, when did I meet you, Lynn? Maybe in the summertime last year, uh, mm. sometime. And uh, I mean, you've been spending your own money. You've been spending your own time to do this. Uh, there's no gratitude except for the love from the kids back to you. So I, you know, kudos to to both of you for sure. Um, to all of you who work in the home, I think it's great. Now, well, I think a lot of credit goes to Anna Marie and and Wendy and Renee who do the same thing. They work very hard with the children. They they visit the home regularly, take them for outings, and it is all at their own expense as well. You know, there's absolutely we don't ask for anything, we don't expect anything for it. Um, it is just so gratifying to see good results as well for us. But that's, I can tell the people, if, yeah. If you're listening yeah. in, I can tell you, I've seen the pictures. These are the most gorgeous children. They're, the smiles will just warm your heart. They're beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And you gave them a wonderful Christmas party this year. And it was so great to see that, you know, they got pajamas and they were just so excited and, and, <laughs> and, and things and just so happy. It, was, it really does warm yeah. your heart to see, um, you know, how, how, they, how they change. Now, in the window, the guys, Carson is saying that um, African fathers are not interested in being fathers. They drink, um, you know, they, yeah. sex is something that, that you don't uh, talk about, but it lasts for about a second. It, it, it just seems like, why isn't there education to the men? Maybe that's what you need to put some focus yeah. in. Yeah, you, you, you're absolutely right there. Yeah. Um, and I think it's got a lot to do with unemployment. You know, the, the, the men lose their self-esteem, and um, if you can't afford to... To look after children properly, then you are not going to be interested in the children. Yeah. And so it's it's a lot of the self-esteem, but they do they t- they take very little, and not all of them. I mean, we mustn't generalize, but right, right. A lot of them take a little interest in the children. Yeah. yeah so, what, how are you raising money? How how much money do you need? How can we help you raise money? And what's what's the you know tell us tell us. Yeah. We have worked out a budget for this plan that we have, and um, it's uh, it's going to come to about 2.2 million. Wow. Rand. That rand. That rand? Oh, rand. Don't okay. give people half the time. No, that's rand. Sorry, 2.2 million rand, which is, um, what what would that be, Dr. Russell, in Canadian dollars? About approximately about 300000 $300, $300, $300, $300, $300, $300, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think that's too bad, actually, when you think no, you're getting four, a lot. four homes plus the equivalent of another home in the in the daycare center. Now, you and, would own these uh, homes, Lynn? Pardon? Would you own these homes? Would the trust own these homes? The land, the home itself, what it would be? Oh, oh, yes. No, that, that is something that we, yes. We're hoping to actually get a, a, a piece of land, um, the councillor in the area that we're looking at, she's very keen for us to build um, in her ward. If we don't build in her ward, she knows we will build in somebody else's ward. So right. she's quite keen for us to, to, to use her um, her uh, township. And um, we're looking at a piece of land. And because she's so keen, there is a chance we could get it at a very nominal rate. And... Um, as soon as we pay for it, obviously, then it would become uh, our property. It's, it no, would no longer be the municipal property. And then the whole complex would be belong to the Circulisa of Antoine Foundation. And, um, Can you do so ownership water, is very or are you still under the, the rules and regulations of the, of the, um, the government? Or can you, run the, the, can you run programs your way? If you own it? We we are hoping to be able to run it our way, um, but that means we're going to be heavily dependent on donations. Right. Um, yeah. Although there there is government funding for this kind of thing, um, you know, for NPOs, there is government funding. We would definitely apply for it, but um, uh, you know, it, it it will take a long time to get anything like that, and they would need to see that we're established and we're running successfully and we're doing a good job. I don't think we could expect any government funding for our project before we actually start building. Right. But um, we're hoping to make such a success of this first project that it will then become a model for other projects. 
and and we we would like to build a cluster like this in each of the townships. We have a number of townships here, and uh, we'd like to build a cluster in each of the townships and become actually a model town for the rest of the country. Eventually, have all our street children off the street, have abused children no longer abused, and and just become a model for the rest of the country. This well, is what, you know, what, I think that's what our dream is. That is a wonderful it's a nice piece of land, Frankie. It's a nice piece of land. And the other yeah. thing is it may seem money, but if you don't spend it now, you're going to have a million orphans growing up into half a million criminals and half a million prostitutes. Right. right. It's yeah. pay now or pay later. You know? I mean, what would you do if you grew up at 16, 17 without education? Um, so it's a lovely plot of land, and the idea is excellent. I mean, it's just like everything. It just needs money. Right, and yeah. that's like you say, you know, one person at a time. You know, you can't save the whole world, but you can save no. one person, and everybody can save yeah. one person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, just uh, yeah. But is um, the town rallying around you now? Do do more people are they more people aware of these children yeah. now? Yeah. Do they see that's... it as their problem, or do they see it as, as your? No, no. I think that's probably the, the the most important thing that we have achieved is that we've made an awareness of you know what is actually going on we do write articles for our local paper and the support has been tremendous it really really has people for the for the children's home we have all the meat that they eat is donated by a local butcher and they eat meat three times three times a day they eat meat every day i don't think there's any other township child that does eat meat every every day of their lives um, and then the bread is, is um, all the bread is supplied by the local supermarket, mm-hmm. and there's a farmer that supplies all the milk that they drink. And then there's always people dropping off uh, fresh vegetables from their garden and that type of thing. The, the support has been tremendous. We don't need to worry about clothing for these kids at all. We've got a clothes bank now, um, which will see us through for a very long time. You know, people just really have been fantastic. What and, about a trade uh, school? Do you have anything like Pardon? that? Do you have any trade schools or, or, you know, where kids can, let's say the guys can learn to become mechanics or woodworkers or carpenters or farmers or just something, you know, that teaches them a skill instead of just yeah. nothing, yeah. nothing to look yeah. forward to? Yeah. Do they no, have those? Uh, no. not in our town. Isn't Wilderness going to open like a school for locals to go become guides and workers? That, yes, that is so. That Something has just opened recently, about a month ago, um, where they can um, go to... They have to get their matric first. That's their final year of school. They have to get that first, right. um, which, is, which is not easy to achieve for, for the, them in the kind of schools that they are at the moment. Um, and then they can become game... Uh, wardens, they can learn to become game, game wardens and chefs and tourism officers. I think it's those three things. Rosalie, perhaps you know a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think so. So that's opened about a month ago in, in our town, which is wonderful news. It's a beautiful yeah. setting, Frankie, because you've really got these people in the town who have a little difficulty. You know, they're not quite so easy, the economy there, who, who are acting as like super foster parents dropping off. While I was there, they, somebody donated a lovely um, American-built washing machine. Um, somebody's offered duvets, bedding, um, beds and things. And this is really, the, the town it has really become like an, a foster town to these children. Right. And this is very beautiful to see. And this hope that with this example, you could get reproduction, replication rather. But I'd like to see a plan in place, you know, where they can, I mean, if there was money to build a trade school or school, couldn't, couldn't you get volunteers, people in the community who are mechanics or carpenters or seamstresses or anything like that where they can learn, uh, you know, to, to be something? I mean, how much tourism is there? People are afraid to go there, aren't they? I mean, the country's pretty unstable. <laughs> Lynn, you're going to tell me. Thank you. I think you're afraid to come to South Africa, but not not, not everyone is. <laughs> no, look, I, I feel perfectly safe in this country. Maybe I'm still with my head buried in the sand or something. I don't know. But 
I feel pretty safe in this country. We do have hijackings. We do have robberies and things like that. Of course we do. But what country doesn't? You know? mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Our, our, our crime rate is high, especially in the cities. And, but it's not, not something that you stay away from the country for. It's, um, I mean, uh, Dr. Russell, I hope you will vouch for me here because um, I think you've traveled quite safely in this country. I don't think you've had any incidents, have you? Are you still there? Hello? Oh, I think he got lost. I think he got, he hung up or he, he got dropped oh, has off. he hung up? Car- yeah, I think he hung up or, or he got cut off or something. Carson is saying, Carson has been all over, and he's saying that South African tourism is booming um, right now, but you don't go into rural areas. I know that, that um, he himself got... I don't know. You know, we well, live in a rural, rural area. areas are somewhat safer. The rural areas yes. I think are safer than the cities. Um, yes. And, you know, we in Somerset East haven't really been affected by crime to, to any great degree. Right, so, right. So, that is, so that's okay. But I hear what you're saying about the, about the trade schools. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's, it certainly is an option. We have got a, a, a group of people that are working here in Somerset East trying to, um, uh, to increase any kind of uh, job creation situation here. Um, mm-hmm. And they've, they've achieved quite a lot. So I think, again, people with vision can, uh, can actually oh, achieve something. Hang on. Mm-hmm. It was a power failure. You're back. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, I thought uh, we only had those in South Africa. I'm only joking. Setting. We have another power failure. Right? <laughs> Trying to make you feel at home. Oh, good. <laughs> well, they asked you. your opinion. She, Lynn was looking for your support about how wonderful South African safe it is. So I think you have to, you have to give it. What was that? You never, you never told us about any incidents that you'd had, you know, mm. where you'd been affected by the crime or anything like that. No, I don't. I only know one tourist in seven years in the area I go to has had his luggage stolen. It, it really is not a war zone. It is safe. You don't go around with your Rolex watches. You don't. I don't go into areas I don't know at night in the car. But you know, it is a beautiful country. Um, I've just written one article on it. it. It's a very beautiful country. It's great infrastructure. It's very inexpensive. People are delightful. Um, and for some reason, and it's hurting somewhat is that people feel frightened and it extends the isolationism, you know, that went on for years. And, you know, it's a safe country. You don't hear of tourists. More tourists disappear in other countries closer to our shores in South Africa. It's a safe country for the majority of people. Yeah. Well, and there's a lot of goodwill in this town because for the last week I've been riding around in the townships now, the rural areas where Carson probably would say one shouldn't be going. I've been riding around, okay, granted with Anna Marie, I, d- I don't do this on my own. Um, I don't think, not, not because it's not safe, but I just don't like driving around in a township on my own. But I've done it with Anna Marie and I've done it with my husband. We've been driving around in the townships, taking photographs of the shacks and everything for the website. And, you know, we've only met with friendliness. Adults waving, not only the children, but adults waving to us and greeting us all the time. And it, and and Dr. Russell, you also drove around with us. And I'm this I don't. Know, this is absolutely true. But I do not understand. It must be the African way, because if I was living in the slums and I saw a, a nice SUV drive by, I would tend to throw rocks at it. But they don't. They wave. Everyone's friendly. Mm. It is a very friendly. And this I find a positive of the African character, I mean. Yes. Isn't it so? Yeah, no, no. And especially in this town, I find that there is a lot of goodwill between black and white people, honestly. And, and I mean, you know, we really are expecting good support as soon as the community in, in the township knows that we want to build a foster home. We are expecting them to back us and, and to be really keen. As long as we don't start bringing in politics and mentioning political parties or specific churches or anything like that, mm-hmm. um, I think we will we'll get good support. Well, I think what you're doing is absolutely fantastic. I really do. And I, I mean, I, I don't mean to make it sound like, you know, uh, 
you live in a horrible place because I know that you don't. I've, I've seen it. It's beautiful. Dr. Russell told me how how many times it's, you know just how fantastic it is. And, and but you know I mean I do I do read stories of the newspaper and I do hear from other people um, you know their own their experiences which are very different from yours. And granted you know you've lived there for a very long time um, and you tend to feel safe in where you live. You know I think. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah. It doesn't take yeah. away from the good work that you're doing and the huge project that's going on and, and the success that you're going to have with it. And, and really what's most, most important is that these children are going to have a home to live in and someone to love them and a future to look forward to. And that's the big picture, isn't it? I mean, that's really what this is all about. Yes. Love Talk Radio. Well, we've run out of time. Uh, thank you, ladies, for getting up in the middle of the night to, to speak to us. Uh, it just shows your dedication to what you're doing and, um, you know, bless you for all your hard work yes. and continued success. I, I, thank I you. wish you all thank the you. best. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you so very much. much. Dr. Russell, thank you. And thanks for the use of your blog line. <laughs> thank you so much. For you should call the orphan program. <laughs> That's becoming the orphan program. <laughs> Good night, ladies. Good night, Thanks, everyone. Thanks so much. Bye. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye.